Nice. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open them. Acts 19. We'll be going through verses 1 through 20 today. So I'm going to read uh, the full section, then we'll pray, and we'll jump into the text. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Then it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious truths of the gospel that we assemble every Sunday morning to sing and proclaim and affirm. Where we also come just acknowledging that you are the one who gives every good and perfect gift, including eternal life through your Son. And you are the one that gives us newness of life and gives us eyes to see and Um, anyone who comes to you, you will not cast away. And we thank you just for your incredible graciousness and goodness to us. We pray, Lord, that just in this brief time, that you would help us all to get a clear glimpse of your majesty and your glory. Lord, that we would be uh, persuaded to turn from uh, 
the small things that could even be good things that uh, distract us from knowing you and serving you and loving you and experiencing your peace and joy. Pray that you would do that in this brief time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you were meeting someone and you ought to have recognized them or remembered their name, but you just couldn't? And it seems like they know who you are and they're starting, starting a conversation with you and you're just like, uh, this is awkward. So you do something like, hey, man, come over here. Or, hey, you, I, mean, I got something to say to you. Come here. And you just use all those little fillers instead of their name to try to just ease over that little awkward hump. I'm going to give you two gems of mine that I use in this situation that can help you next time you're in the situation. So one of the things I'll do is if there's someone that I feel like, ah, I need to know who that person is, I ought to know who that person is, one of the things I'll do is I'll call someone else in the room that I know over and say, like, hey, Tom, come over here. I got someone I want you to meet. Tom will come over, and when he comes over, I'll say, y'all introduce yourselves. And I'll, just, and I'll just stand back and sort of just wait. So he's like, ah, hi, I'm Tom. And the other guy will be like, hi, my name's Sean Cordell. And I'll be like, oh, that's right, that's your name. Um, that's number one. Or number two, I'll just say, hey, man, I want to connect with you later. You know, let me get your phone save, phone number. Let me save it in my phone. So I'll put their number in my phone. And then when it comes to the contact, I'll ask them, so how do you spell your name? And then I'll put their name in. And then I'm like, ah, that's right, that's right. You just have to hope that they don't have a simple name like Bob like Bob Smith, and you're like, oh, so S-M, so with an S, Smith with an S? No, okay. But there, it, it, two days ago, uh, this happened to me in a more awkward situation that, than it normally happens. And I was graduating from the seminary this weekend on Friday, and I was with, um, I was with a group of my classmates, right? We had all been in the same classes for two years. And we were walking, going to graduation rehearsal, and this guy comes over, and he starts talking with all of my classmates as if he knows all of them, and they're just like picking up as if they like, they knew each other very well. And then he hangs back and starts talking to me, and he's like asking me how I'm doing. He's asking me how my daughter, Simone, she's about seven weeks now. Now, right? And I'm like, how do you know this? I don't know who you are. And she's, he's like asking me, talking about a paper that I submitted earlier. And I'm like, how do you know what I wrote about this semester? So I was like a little like, are you a stalker? So I asked him, I, I bypassed my whole spiel and just said, who are you? Like, I just told him straight up, like, who are you? And my friends turned around and they're like, you don't know who this guy is? He's our grader for like the last two years. He's been the one grading all of our papers, exams. And I realized, oh, so he's the guy I've been sending emails to throughout the semester, and apparently we met some time before, and it was awkward. But it just got me thinking this morning that it's one thing to not recognize someone that a friend, an acquaintance, someone you've had a conversation with, even if they, they know you really well, it's, it's one thing to not recognize them. But it's an entire other thing to not recognize the one who created you, the one who he knows every thought in your mind before you even speak it, the one who knows the number of every hair on your head just as much as he knows the name of every star in the sky. And particularly, I want to ask you, challenge you with two questions today as we enter, to, enter the text. Two questions, and then I want to give you one simple truth. The questions are as follows. Number one, do you recognize who Jesus really is? Do you recognize who he really is? And number two, 
Do others recognize that you belong to him? Those are two questions that will come up in our text today. And just the simple truth I want to give you is that the Holy Spirit is the one who will enable both of those for you. He will enable you to see who Jesus really is. And he will enable you to be so transformed that others can see your life, see the love that emanates from your life, see your good deeds, and they'll recognize that you actually do, in truth, belong to him. So with that, we'll get into the text. Again, we're in the book of Acts, and what we do here every week is we just take a book of the Bible and we're just moving through it. We're just preaching through it. We happen to be on Acts 19 today. We believe that the Lord still speaks through His Word, and so we just work our way through it. And here, once we come to Acts chapter 19, we're uh, encountering Paul again. And Paul is now on his third and last missionary journey, traveling throughout the ancient world, telling everyone the good news about Jesus Christ. So it starts in verse 1. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. Apollos was a man that we met in the last chapter, chapter 18. Apollos was a a Jewish man, a righteous man that had come to know the way of Christ more fully, more accurately. And he was powerful in the scriptures. He was teaching the body in Corinth, the city of Corinth, which is like modern day Greece. And Paul now departs from there and he travels west and and northwestern through the highlands and the inland country of Turkey until he comes down and settles on the west coast in in one of the most prominent cities of the ancient world, in Ephesus, home to one of the seven great ancient wonders of the world. So coming into this grand city, he would have seen aligning the streets, all of these uh, idol-making shops and temple shops, and even now you can still see the ruins to this day. My wife and I traveled there four years ago, and you can see all all these places where tons and tons of idols were made and cultic rituals were taking place. And you can even see the great temple of Artemis, that's the... One of the seven wonders of the world, the, this great giant marble temple to the goddess Artemis, who everyone in that region, in that entire area, that country, believed to be the mother of all things, the, uh, the one who was the creator, sort of, of all things. So all of, this, all of these statues, all of these shops, Paul was seeing as he was entering the city, and yet he stumbled across a group of, of people that he immediately recognized. We, we share some type of kindred here. We're, we're connected. We have the same heartbeat. So Paul approaches them, and verse 2 says, And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, when he says, when you believed, it's important to know that throughout the Gospels and throughout the book of Acts, when when the term believed is used, it's referring to, it's always referring to some basic embrace of Jesus. That on some level, even if they don't have all the pieces together, this person has come to the realization that Jesus is central to everything. He's he's the answer to the longings in my heart. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's he deserves all of my allegiance. And just that basic understanding is always what's implied when when we come across the term believed. So these people they had trusted Jesus in some degree, at least as simply as that. But what's not always clear 
is the degree to which they understand some of the, the finer points of the faith. Whether they fully understand his, his deity or they fully understand the significance of why Jesus came to die for sins and, and what that really did in satisfying the wrath of God and just the whole thing about the Holy Spirit. What Jesus said when he was in this world about what he would give to the world in giving his Holy Spirit to reveal himself to his people even after he was gone. But apparently these disciples have no idea what is the Holy Spirit is and what it came to do. And At this point, if you're familiar with Christianity, you may be asking yourself the question, how is it that Paul can ask this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I mean, don't we teach that when you believe, God gives you His Holy Spirit? Like they are one and the same thing. So, or they happen at the same time. So how is it that Paul asks this question as if they are two different um, phenomena? And although we would affirm today that when, one, when a person comes and places their trust in Jesus, that God immediately gives them His Holy Spirit to live in them, to continue to manifest Jesus to them, it seems that when Jesus was on this earth, when He was walking around, when He was giving, doing His ministry, when He was performing miraculous signs and teaching of the kingdom of God and, and, and explaining to people His mission, that people were coming to believe and yet they hadn't, hadn't yet been given the Spirit. And even after His death and resurrection, after Pentecost, after He gave His Spirit to the world, and we read that in Acts chapter 2, that even then, there was this period of time where not everyone was immediately receiving this, this Holy Spirit. So let's, let's try to clarify that a little bit. We know that even when someone comes to a basic understanding of Jesus, that it's the Holy Spirit who does that. Even before the Holy Spirit fills them, even before the Holy Spirit was filling the disciples, when they came to Jesus and they would confess like Peter did, you are the Messiah. Jesus would say to him, you didn't reveal that to yourself. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father, through the Spirit, revealed that to you. Or Paul would say that no one can really come to a heartfelt understanding that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Master of my life, unless the Holy Spirit does that to him. Jesus Himself says in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the Spirit, born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What He's saying there is, just like normal, natural life is produced by flesh, produced by people, your parents, mother and father, New spiritual life is completely an act of the Spirit. And yet at the same time, while affirming that, yes, the Spirit is what's, what's causing you newness of life, throughout that Gospel, throughout John's Gospel, Jesus is also teaching that there's a difference, though, from what's happening now to what will happen when He fills your heart and when He dwells in you, when He lives in you. He says, for instance, in John, in chapter 14, verse 17, He says to His disciples, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He says, You know Him, for He dwells with you, mean present tense. Right now, He is dwelling with you. He's the one that's responsible for all this. And yet, He will be in you in the future. Speaking of when He would give His Spirit to them. 
And he goes on to describe what this will be like when his spirit comes and fills the heart. He says, he goes on to talk about my peace. He says, my peace I'm going to give to you. Not as anything in the world could give you peace, but the peace that I give you, I'm going to give you when I give you that spirit, when it comes to dwell in you. He talks about the fact that even after I'm gone, even when you can't see me with physical eyes, I will reveal myself to you. I will manifest myself to you when I give you that Holy Spirit to dwell in your heart. It's this reality that, that these disciples who Paul, whom Paul meets in Ephesus, they had no clue. They, they, they embraced Jesus. They knew He was the answer. But that type of deep peace and revealing and be able to see God and have Him gradually move the scales off of your eyes to see Him more clearly, that all of us are freely offered now when you place your trust in Jesus, these disciples hadn't yet experienced As believers now, it's, it's, it's the Spirit's work in our lives, being, being filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that causes us to gradually, more and more throughout our life, be able to see Christ's beauty, His glory. We go from saying, Jesus is God, to saying, Jesus is God. They're saying, Jesus is God. He is, he is the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's my greatest source of joy. He is the only solid rock that I can stand upon. He's the one that died for me. He died for me. It's this gradual revealing throughout your life of who this man really is. And this work of the Spirit, Paul knew that not everyone fully understood what the Holy Spirit would do. But what was somewhat confusing was how these people hadn't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Because it was so basic to Christ's message. So it's like, how did you hear about Jesus? Or how did you, how did you come to find out about this gospel without hearing something about the Holy Spirit? And so he goes on in verse 3 and he asks them, he says, Into what then were you baptized? Now let's start from... Point one, like let's, how did you get baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Now John the Baptist, if, if you don't know, John the Baptist was a man that God raised up uh, prior to Christ beginning his earthly ministry. And he went around sort of as a herald that comes into a town announcing the good news of the king's arrival into the city. And John the Baptist gave the people two basic messages when he would baptize them. One, the message that is still universal today. He says, repent and turn from your sins in order to be forgiven by God. But you cannot continue to cling to the things that God hates and not embrace all that God loves, all that God says is true and right and good and be forgiven. So turn and repent. That's number one. And number two, he talks about this one who is going to come after him who is so much greater than even he is, as righteous and as great of a man John the Baptist, as John the Baptist was, he talks about this one who is to come. He says in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, with the crowd of the throng of people around him, he stands up and he says, I, I'm baptizing you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, speaking of Jesus, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he will, he will so immerse you in the Holy Spirit, He will so give you His own presence, this Holy Spirit to, to dwell in you, that it's, it's just like being plunged into water. That's how, much he is, that's how graciously He is going to give you His own presence Himself. Paul reminds him of this message, and then he says in verse 4, it says, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they're baptized with the right understanding now of who this person is in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Paul tells them the good news, and when it says that he laid his hands on them, that is likely referring to just that act when they said, I want to be baptized with a, with a right understanding of the gospel. But he laid his hands on them and, and dipped them down to the water and brought them up. And when he did, the Holy Spirit just rushed upon them. When you see these, these, these scenes of people speaking in tongues and speaking and, and prophesying and just this overflow of joy and excitement in the Lord, what's happening in that moment is like the gradual process that we normally all undergo and gradually over, over the course of our entire lives of seeing Christ little by little, more and more and more. The Holy Spirit sometimes just gives a rush of just tearing the scales back and allowing them to see majesty and glory that they have never seen before. And they're so overwhelmed with just euphoria that they're, 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 decla- they're declaring the praises of God, they're praising God. Even this says with other tongues, that means other languages, like languages they've never studied. They're just praising God in just other languages. They're so, God has so caught them up and enraptured them. And they're prophesying, meaning they're just declaring His greatness, His goodness, His awesome deeds. And this is not an act of Paul. Paul is not causing this when he's placing his hands on them. But it's simply God being pleased to at the same time when they're baptized, to rush upon them and wrap them up and embrace them. These people come to recognize who Jesus really is. There was a mild understanding that they had before that, yes, He is central. I do want to follow Him, but it wasn't until the Holy Spirit filled their hearts that they understood, no, He's not just a normal man. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just an example to follow. He is life Himself. He is the Son of God. He is the beginning and the end. He is our greatest treasure. And I'll just ask you, do you recognize who Jesus really is? Where do you fit in that opening story? Do you recognize who He really is? Who He really is? Even Paul is emboldened by this encounter. It says that, He goes on from there, and in verse 8 it says that, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But as always is the case, when, when the gospel goes forth, when it's being proclaimed, it meets resistance. There's some force that is trying to hold this gospel 
back, trying to contain it, trying to keep it from spreading into the hearts and lives of countless more. So we see in verse 9, some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. So Paul, he withdraws and continues to proclaim the gospel. Says he withdrew, he took the disciples with him who were just uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit to, to more fully see Christ, and he continues teaching them in the hall of Tyrannus. There's a lecture hall, local lecture hall in the city of Ephesus where you can continue to teach them. But look at verse 10. This, this struck me. It says, This continued, this lecturing in this one place continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The reason that struck me is because with all this time that we've been going through the book of Acts, we keep seeing Paul as this example, this great ambassador who's like waving the Christian flag throughout Europe, right? Like he's like on his horse, riding throughout into the sunset, proclaiming the gospel, and you're like, I don't... I, I'm not like that guy at all. I'm not going around trying to conquer city after city, trying to proclaim the gospel in new territories. And you feel like, I don't identify with, with what Paul's doing here. I can't do what, what Paul's doing. I can't live by his example. But look at this. It says that for two years while he was in Ephesus, he stayed in one spot. And just by faithfully proclaiming the gospel, just by being faithful to Christ in the place where he was, the people that passed in and out of his life, in and out of the city for that two years, rubbing shoulders with him, entering conversations with him, seeing his life and the fullness of, of God is working out through his life. They caught it. They, they, they were infected by this, this joy that he had. And they went out and went into all the, the surrounding countryside. And it says in two years, everyone in that country had heard about Christ. Can you identify with that? Can you do that, believer? Can you just, just be faithful and content where you are and allow God to, to move all the pieces around in your life? You just continue to cling to Christ and to, to proclaim Him, to, to seek to strive after holiness and obedience and just be faithful and content and let Him bring the people in and out of your life who will continue to spread the gospel outwards. There was this man who, uh, a couple of hundred years ago, this is very simple man, he's not a very educated man, not well uh, versed in the Bible, is this very simple guy. And one Sunday morning, this guy, he leaves his, his little home and he goes to his church as he does every Sunday morning. His little church of about ten to a dozen or so people, small little community. And they're waiting on the pastor. The pastor of the church doesn't show up because it's, it's snowing outside. It's just a whole bunch of snowfall came down. The pastor was shut into his house. He couldn't get out. And so this guy thought to himself, well, we need to hear about Jesus. And so he goes up in front of his 10 to 12 people and his normal group of friends and just starts telling them about Jesus and telling them, look to Jesus. A very simple message. He just says, look to Jesus. 
He's the one who died for you. He's the one who bled for you. He's the one who was buried for you. He's the one who was raised for you. He's the one who ascended to the right hand of the Father for you. He's the one who currently uh, intercedes for you. Just look to Jesus. This very simple message. A little boy, a troubled young boy, happened to wander into the church that day randomly uh, for the first time in his life, and he never went back to that church again. But this, this young, troubled boy was conflicted in his spirit, and he heard that simple message that this simple man was proclaiming, and it radically changed his life. He was never the same again. That boy left that church. He grew up. He went on to become perhaps the greatest preacher that this world has ever known. Became the leader of one of the greatest churches that England has ever known. That little boy was Charles Spurgeon. One of the greatest preachers ever. And even in his own autobiography, he doesn't know what this man's name was. He just knew that that guy was not a preacher type. He was just there. He was just being faithful. He was just doing his normal daily life, so to speak. And I happened to stumble across him, and I caught something that radically changed me. Can you do that? Can you just be like that faithful man? It was because of that man that Charles Spurgeon recognized really, truly, who Jesus is. Do you? Secondly, let me ask you, do others, when they look at your life, can they see that you belong to Jesus? When others look at your life, can they see that, that you belong to Jesus? We see this coming to the forefront, this very question in the latter half of the text. It says in verse 11, think crazy things start happening. Miraculous things are happening in the city. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, even for this, the gospel time, for the book of Acts, this is very strange and unusual phenomenon that all of this is happening around Paul. Like, this is not normal. This is not usual. And theologians will say that, you know what? When you really consider how obsessed that city, Ephesus, that ancient city was with dark and, and cultic practices, how, how much they were uh, obsessed with seeing extraordinary things and overwhelming things that it seems like God was just doing something to meet them where they were, to, to shine a light that was so brilliant, that emanated from Paul, that it overshadowed all of this other excitement and confusion that was happening in the city. I mean, we know that, that the believers themselves in the city, that even they, before Paul came and, and cleared all this up, even they were involved with a lot of uh, different practices and magic and, and, and uh, cultic type stuff. We see that in verse, verses 18 and 19, when it says that once the believers saw what happened, many of those, it says in verse 18, many of those who were now believers came confessing, and divulging their practices, these, their own cultic practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Some of these believers were, had these books that they were practicing all of these different dark rituals. And you may recall, if you're familiar with uh, the book of Ephesians, that when Paul later writes back to this 
city, to these believers in this city. And that letter, perhaps more than any other letter he writes, he addresses all of these, these demonic entities that are, that are there, that he says... For instance, in chapter 6, verse 12, like we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. All of these rulers and authority, authorities and all of these demonic forces that are in the city, that's who we're really wrestling against. And yet these people, they see in Paul such incredible, crisp, clear truth in the gospel. Such pure light and love and joy in this proclamation and this life of this apostle that they are flocking to him. And they, it, it, it's so overwhelming, this presence that God is allowing Paul to have, allowing Paul to have in this time that they just want to draw near to it. They just want to be healed by, by God. And they can tell that this man bears the truth. And when it says that they're taking out their handkerchiefs and their aprons, their handkerchiefs are like their little sweat rags that they would use throughout the day to just wipe sweat off their forehead and go about their business. These dirty rags. And their aprons were like their sweat cloths that they would tie around their waist and, and wipe their hands and wipe things off throughout the day. These, these dirty garments. And they're just so mesmerized with Paul that they don't even think about what they're touching him with. They just, I want to get near, close to him. They recognize that this person, by his proclamation by the truth of his life how it agrees with what he's saying how he truly belongs to Christ to this Jesus and he truly has been sent of God we see that not everyone though has that reaction as it always does there's there's jealousy there is pride that stirs up among some of the other people in the crowd and so we see in verse 13 it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Now, first of all, that, that last part of the, or verse 14, when it says that these were sons of, of the local high priest, they're not talking about the grand high priest over all of Judaism that lived in Jerusalem. It is saying in Ephesus. This was like the top dog Jewish leader in Ephesus. The guy who should have most clearly understood the words of God, the, the, the will of God, and should have over and above everyone, all of his contemporaries, he should have rightly trained up his sons in the way of truth. And yet his sons appear to be, appear to be the most confused. They're trying to blend this this Jewish um, hybrid of, of excessively being involved in raising people from the dead or, or casting out demons. And, and they see this guy, Paul, who's having all this success and all of these people flock to him and they just try to attach his name onto what they're doing and say, yeah, what we're doing, he's with it. He's on board. And they're not truly, genuinely eager to follow Christ. They're only after their own selfish gains or what they can get out of it. They're not truly, they don't truly belong to Him. And it's, fun, it's interesting what this evil spirit possessed man says to them in verse 15. He says, The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? 
those words are intentionally different when he says, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul. He's not saying I know him and I know him like they're on the same level. He, I think they're, they're different words on purpose. They're used together in a time in the Old Testament back in Isaiah 61. And, and, and just stick with me here. There's a time when God is, is talking to his people and he's conv- trying to convince them to follow the truth. And he says, I want you, there are certain things I want you to see and know. Know is that first word. And then he says, there are certain things I want you to consider and understand. And it seems like, to give an example, it's like as if you were to say, there's certain things that you can see and automatically you just know. Like if I were to ask you, is that a tree over there? You could look and recognize immediately, yes, that's a tree. I don't need to think about it. I don't need to evaluate anything. That's so clearly a tree. But if I were to ask you more specifically, like, is that a pine needle leaf tree or is that some type of specific uh, a type of tree that you have to say, well, I guess I'd have to look at what it's really made of, look at its seeds, look at the different... There's different things you have to examine to say, okay, upon examining this, I can recognize that that's that type of tree. Here's what the demon is saying. Jesus is so clearly who he is. It's so clear who Jesus is. I see him and I know who Jesus is. Then looking at Paul, he can say, I can examine this Man, I can see his life. I can see what he's proclaiming. I can see how what he, um, what he does, how he lives, agrees with what he's saying. Okay, I recognize that Paul, who Paul is. Jesus, it's obvious who he is. Those who follow him, let's look at their life. Let's evaluate them. Let's see how much it agrees with what they proclaim. And so the Spirit says, yes, I recognize Paul. He's in. But who are you? I don't recognize you, and I don't respect you, I don't fear you. And so God allows this demonic, possessed man to pounce on these seven sons, and I mean, they just get whooped. They're, they're, they leave, and they're naked and wounded, and they're, they're tore up. But let me re-ask you the question, would... Can someone look at your life, believer, you who claim to follow Jesus, and say, yes, I can tell by the way that they act that they are following Jesus, that they belong to them. I recognize him. I recognize this person. Or I can tell how they they deal with, with conflict. When conflict arises in their marriage, I can tell what they turn to as, as what they reach for in that moment. Is it they reach for, for striving for reconciliation, using the, the power of the gospel, looking to Christ's forgiveness for them, to, to empower them to forgive their spouse, their friend? I can look at their life, and I can look at all these regions in their life, these areas in their life, and examine them. Could they say, I recognize who you are. I recognize that you belong to Him. Can they say that? Whether or not they can, let's remember that the Holy Spirit is the one who can enable this for you. Calling out to God. Call out to God. He is the one who can reveal Himself to you, to pull back the scales of your eyes, to fill you with joy, and to fill you with such a supremely higher purpose that He has designed you for than what you currently live for. And He can also so transform your life 
no matter where you say that you are right now or how young you are, how old you are, He can transform you so dramatically that when others look at your life, they would say, I recognize Him. When I look at Jesus and I look at Him, I recognize that those fit. It's because of the Holy Spirit's work in, in the city of Ephesus throughout the chapter, revealing Himself to these, to these believers, revealing the true identity of these false believers, that the gospel is able to continue to go forth. It says in verse 20, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I would just challenge you to continue to examine your own life. And wherever there is deficiency, wherever you can honestly say that this doesn't measure up, this call out to Christ. It's John who says in in his epistle that it's the one who truly has the Son, who embraces the Son, who loves the Son, who has Christ, That's the one that has eternal life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just want to thank you for Jesus. I thank you that we can look at all these uh, examples in scriptures of those who were at so many different places in their life, whether it was those who had vaguely heard of you and knew that they wanted to follow you but needed more instruction, they didn't have it all figured out, or those who blatantly rejected you that you either allowed them to continue in their rebellion or you graciously turned them and caused them to look at your face and to see your beauty and your glory and your love and your joy. Lord, wherever we are, every story we read is a constant reminder that you are the one that can change everything. That you are the one that delights to change everything about us and to give us newness of life. So Lord, I pray that these, this simple gospel message would fill all of our simple hearts and just give us lips that cannot cease to, to declare your goodness and can't put our hands down off the plow and, and back off of doing good works. We just, Lord, make us a people that are zealous for good works, that are so overflowing with your love and your glory that we delight to show it off to other people. the simple message of the gospel not become common or mundane to us. It's truly extraordinary. There is only one man who at any time in history has ever been qualified and has actually accomplished the reconciliation of a fallen people to God. He was killed for us. He was buried for us. He rose again for us. He ascended into heaven for us. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high for us. 
Let us continue to be in awe of this great God, Jesus. It's His name we pray. Amen.